The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. So good morning, everybody. My name is Dave Parton, uh, pastor here at Neighborhood Church. And as Eric shared, um, we're just going to try every room in the school throughout the year. So this was, this was, uh, this is good. This is a good one. All the wind blowing and stuff. Um, and if this fans, if any fans too much for you, I give everybody the, um, the authority to move that fan. If you want to put it on pause right on you, you can do that. The people around you might look at you funny if you take all the, all the, uh, all the wind. But um, I just twisted this one, but if that's too much, you, you let me, oh, you're good to go. Okay, fantastic. I can always, my personal fan. You guys can take pictures of my hair flowing. And yeah, laugh. I see that. I see that. Um, so we've been talking about uh, the, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and what does that mean um, as a theme throughout the, the, the gospel of Matthew. Um, if there's a Bible nearby, we're on page 808, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 is where we're going today. And that's page 808. Um, also, I recognize we're going to complete our first page, like front and back. So we're working our way through Matthew, right? Are we going to complete our first, our first page six weeks in? That's right. It's front and back, though. So it's front and back. So yeah, so as you're turning there, um, I just want you guys to be reminded that the idea of living in God's kingdom is, is, is basically a posture, a way of life that puts, us our, puts our identity in the front. So we say the environment is the kingdom. So what's the kingdom mean? Well, it means there's a king. King Jesus is, you know, we have a king. We've been ad- adopted into this kingdom. And our hope is, is that we study through Matthew. His, his desire for his readers is for them to realize what does it mean to live life inside the kingdom of God? What does it mean for you and your family? What does it mean for you in your, uh, just as a neighbor? What does it mean for you at work that you're a child of the king and the kingdom of God? What does it mean for us as just civilians of Kansas City, right? Or even as of America and even of the world? Like, what does it mean that we're a, a, a child of the king in this world? And my hope today is that we will go even one step further for many of us. Is what does it mean that you're a child of the kingdom when you're alone. And we're going to be talking today about the baptism and temptation of Jesus. Well, first we're going to see how Jesus modeled and empowers us in our baptism in the Spirit. And second, secondly, we're going to talk about uh, just knowing that Jesus' example, right, helps us in our own battle and our own temptation. So let me pray before we read God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you for... Um, your word. May your word continue throughout generations and generations to point people to you, Jesus, the satisfied Savior, the one who satisfies. And Father, my prayer today is that we will get, um, we we become more and more in love with your word, and that these words of old are the words of today for us in our generation. And may we glorify you (laughs) as we come away from your word today. It's in your name. Amen. 
Um, as we say every week, if you don't have a Bible or you know somebody without a Bible, feel free to take that Bible home with you as a gift from us to you. So Matthew 3.13 is where we're going to start. We're going to read the baptism of Jesus, talk about that some, and then read about the temptation, and then talk about that some. So Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, John the Baptist. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you not come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So all the Gospels record Jesus' baptism. And we talked last week about John's humility, even how John said, I don't want to even be, like, I'm not even worthy to be the servant of the of the Christ of the of the Messiah I can't even hold his sandals right and here what do we find this very one that Jesus says I'm not even worthy to hold the dirty sandals of the future Christ Jesus says will you baptize actually says baptize me right right baptize me now you talk about a, a humble guy going from hey Jesus I don't know if you heard but like yesterday I told a bunch of people I wouldn't even like hold your sandals and now they're going to watch me baptize you? The weightiness of that of baptizing the Son of God? So what's going on here? Well, Jesus takes over, right? Jesus takes over and he says, you know, let it be so now, for thus is fitting to fulfill righteousness. And as anyone who impacts Jesus telling you something and you want to be a follower, it says here in, in verse uh, 15, he consented. So it's like, so when Jesus tells you to do something like baptize me, even though it feels kind of weird, you should baptize him. I don't think that'll happen again, but just letting you know that's a good example there. So when Jesus answering him saying, this is going to happen to fulfill all righteousness, what's going on here? Where the word righteousness, the word righteousness, there's kind of two ways that we read it in the scriptures. It's kind of this outward righteousness and an inward righteousness. So the outward righteousness is kind of how someone behaves in society. That makes sense, kind of the actions, how people see you. But there's also this inward righteousness that's, that uh, Jesus is talking about here. It's how one thinks or believes or the purity of someone. So right now, Jesus is saying, as we've been talking about fulfillment, Jesus being the fulfillment, Jesus is saying, hey, this is one more step in fulfilling what, was supposed to, what is supposed to happen. So the inward one, it's talking about Jesus' uh, covenant, like the covenant that God's doing through Jesus' life for the Jews, but also for the nations. So when Jesus says, this is to fulfill righteousness, what he's saying is, I'm righteous. So is Jesus righteous, this inward righteous? Is he pure? Is Jesus the one without sin? As we talked last week, the, you know, pulling the bow back and trying to hit that target and, and hitting the bullseye every single time. Is that Jesus? Well, as we, if we fast forward through the Gospels and fast forward through the Apostles' writings about Jesus, we see that his character was above any man that's ever lived. He was without sin, without original sin or actual sin. It's hard for us, right, 2,000 years later to go, okay, maybe we can take their word for it that he lived a good life. But let's see who was at the attendance of Jesus' baptism. Verse 16, 
And Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. So God the Father shows up in attendance. God the Holy Spirit shows up attendance. And the Son of God is coming out of the water. Now, when God verbally says to his people, I'm pleased with you, because of what we know about God, that he can only be pleased with perfection and righteousness, God's putting his stamp, the Father, on, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. He's going to fulfill all righteousness. And as we consider what this baptism is and how this baptism of righteousness is different than our baptism of salvation or our baptism of repentance, we must begin here. When we go down into the water as converted Christians, it's a symbol, right? It's a symbol of cleansing. Or um, when, I, when we have baptism here, I say, I say, you've been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. It's this symbolizing of a new identity. This is not what's happening here. Jesus is righteousness. So what's his baptism? When he went down to the, to the water, into the Jordan River, the opposite happened for Jesus. He began to take on sin. Isaiah 53 talks about a sheep that's going to be slaughtered. Yet there was nothing wrong with the sheep. The sheep was perfect, but he's on the way to be slaughtered. This is the step. This is why this must happen to fulfill all righteousness. This is the, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. This is the beginning of this three long road to Calvary. So Jesus was baptized, and he was obedient to say, Yes, Father, I will do the next thing. And he was baptized. And as a reminder of Jesus' fulfillment, we've been talking about the different fulfillments and even how the life of Jesus has kind of patterned that of Israel. So as Israel was brought out of Egypt through the, through the Great Sea, he, Israel then went into the desert. And let's, let's go to the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, the devil, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, 
and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. So after his baptism, we see Jesus being led into the desert for a fast. And for, for many of you, if there's big things, big weighty things going on in your life, maybe you'll fast. It's one of these rhythms that we see in the Bible of, of taking a break from the things of this world to focus on God. Now, I've never done a 40-day fast, but it sounds like a, like, a lot, like a lot of work, like to prepare for it, to get ready for it, to make it through. Maybe some of you guys have experienced what these feelings are after, for me, like after day three. Like, what would it feel like, you know, to go 40 days? But Jesus is preparing for his ministry. And as we study this, we're going to look at Jesus' victory over temptation. And how his victory in this temptation reinforces his identity. Truly, this is the Son of God. It's going to give us an example, an ultimate example of how to resist the devil. Jesus was tempted in order to show us that we have a Savior who is able to help just as we are tempted. He's been tempted. A Savior who is able to sympathize with our weakness when we are weak. So we're going to look at four lessons from Jesus' temptation. Number one, God leads Jesus to the wilderness to reveal or to build character. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, God's not the one doing the testing, but God did lead Jesus there. We, we know in James that God is not the one who tests. We learn from the the the, the the message of Job, that it's this prowling lion that does this testing. But here's the lesson. If you want to follow Jesus, know that the road of the Christian is hard. It's narrow. It's weighty. Jesus is loved by his Father. He just said moments ago, I'm pleased with you. He was sent to the world to be tested. And if you're his follower, you can expect the same. Baptism into Christ does not mean health, wealth, and shallow happiness. Baptism in the Spirit, become adopted into the kingdom, means a life of self-denial, suffering, trials, and temptations. But not because God doesn't like us. He's not mad at all his kids in the kingdom. And he wants to punish them all. But what he does, he loves us. It's his love because we know that gold is refined by fire. Not by tossing gold into a bunch of marshmallows, right? That doesn't refine gold, right? It's, it's heat. It's really, really hot heat. But that gold becomes more and more pure. We move like our Lord did from our baptisms into battle to prove and to grow our character. We must be willing to fight. So it's God leading into the wilderness to build these muscles against sin. The world, the devil, our flesh. And we will be fighting against someone. We can run and hide. We can lie down and we can give in. Or we can fight 
And we can use our trials and temptations and tests for the purposes that God has designed them for to make us stronger and purer and better um, examples of Jesus. So number two, if number one is about building character, number two, we need to realize that the devil, the evil one, strikes us when we're at our weakest. So verse two says, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter came. Does that make sense to us some about the devil strikes us at our weakness? We talk about temptation this morning. A few nods in the room today. It was after his 40 days where he was tired and hungry. Church, we need to know our predator. We need to know about what are his um, strategies. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Maybe that's a picture for you you haven't had, and you wonder why maybe you have these rhythms where you're falling in temptation often. And you haven't pictured the evil one being a, a, a prowling lion seeking. My, my kids and I, we, we, um, we like to watch TV together. And Netflix is our, our go-to um, way to get our shows. And, and as many of you parents know, it's hard to find shows that you're interested in and your kids. You know, normally I'm pseudo-interested and they're really excited about some of the shows that we watch. Or I'm really excited about shows where guys are building monsters and, you know, their kids are like, what are we doing? But I tell you what, Blue Planet, BBC Africa, nature shows, killer. There's, there's battles, there's poisons, there's things you think are monsters. You know, it's just really, really rad. So we're watching a lot of Africa right now. And one thing we're realizing is, is that these big, massive predator animals like lions, you know, you want them to like attack like, like the largest hippo ever, right? You're going to see this huge battle scene. But you know what lions do? They're real lazy. They just like sit around and like clean themselves and stuff. You know, they're like, ah, just doing this. Then all of a sudden, I think one of them kind of stands up and goes, you want to get some food? You know, and then they all kind of, okay. And they all kind of go. And it's like, you know, 30 of these things, right? And like what they do is they walk up on like, you know, uh, I mean, these numbers they use, and I don't know if they count all these things or what. It's like 100,000 zebra, <laughs> you know? It's like, and you're looking and like, I'm like, oh, those lions are going to be quite full. But they don't just run up there and jump on a zebra and just start attacking it. Those of you guys who watch the shows, you know where I'm going. What do they do? They start trotting around, right? And guess what happens? A baby zebra always ends up losing its mind and just taking off by itself, Right? The whole time you're like, no, don't run that way, you know? And there's this one scene where the, it just jumps in the water and starts paddling into the ocean. You're like, what are you doing? There's sharks out there, you know? But this idea of the one baby zebra running out by itself, weak, alone. Do you guys see what Satan does to us? When we're bored, Right? With people going to be alone, that are, are the, the, the devil, this lion comes and sees, oh, who's over here? He's kind of weak right now. Let's devour that guy or that lady. So church, do you know where you are your weakest? Do you know when you tend to break away 
from the family of God. Is it when you're tired? Is it when your mind is idle? Is it late at night? What are your patterns? We all have different ones. But we know that when we fall into temptation, the thing that happened right before that is normally the same thing. The road to sin is pretty regular in our lives. Now Jesus will be there reminding you who's going to give the most satisfaction. But also, do you have a person? Do you have a phone number you can text? When you start seeking your mind wander, or your feet going a certain direction, or pulling into a, a parking space at a place where that's where sin normally happens for you? Who in your life can check in on you and ask you questions? Because they know when you are weak. Businessmen, if it's when you go on that trip for five days and you're alone in a room by yourself where you're, you're idle and you're tired and you're alone, is there a guy you could say, hey, I'm going to go on this business trip. Will you just send me a text about this time? That's what church does for each other, right? Those of you guys who are parents in the room, you know when your kids are going to flip out. And what we do, we try to set them up for success. If we're good parents and we're not being lazy that day, right? We try to set them up for success. But do we know ourselves, parents, students? Where are we the weakest? Here's the good news from James 4. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen? There's hope in that. There's hope in that. Resist the devil. So let's look at the temptations. I'm just going to paraphrase them real quick. The tempter came. He says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Throw yourself down, right? Because the angels will protect you. Verse 9, all these kings of the world I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. So the first one, um, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He had this hunger. So, so to, to take care of a desire of Jesus, there's a satisfaction element to that. So, so Satan is offering satisfaction to Jesus. The second one, throw yourself down, right? Safety. Jesus, Jesus is trying to be convinced like, oh, the devil's going to keep you safe. Right? Those are kind of idols for us, right? Satisfaction and safety. We kind of run our lives off those things. And the third one, He's like, here's all these things. So stuff. So if you're taking notes, satisfaction, safety, stuff. This is often what he's offering us. But the third, the S I want to use today is shortcuts. Temptations are often shortcuts to God's plan. There's many. These specifically are unique to Jesus, though. Because these temptations rely on his divine sonship. And what Satan's saying is, hey, you don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. You can have all this now. And praise God that he didn't say yes. Right? Praise God. He said no. This is, these are shortcuts. I've got a job to do. I'm on mission for God. These are all true for Jesus. 
but only after he starts that road to Calvary. The tempter tempts him to take this shortcut by bypassing Golgotha. For us, what are shortcuts? Here's a couple. I'm just thinking about just things that I'm, I'm running in, 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 into um, interactions with my kids and some of their friends is lying, right? Lying's a sin. That's a commandment, right? Anybody from Beaver know the commandment of lying? You guys memorized them all on the way here, right? Right? So there's a commandment in there called lying, right? Or about lying. You guys know what it is? What number? Anybody know? Put, you guys think about it. Just yell a number out when you guys are eight, nine, nine, right? Yeah, because four and five, like four are saying, hey, I look just like you. Do you guys remember those numbers? Andrew remembers when he was in high school. Right, so there's, anyway, so anyway, so nine. Lying, is it good or bad? Church, is lying good or bad? <laughs> Thank you, that's good. We got to start with some basic stuff around here sometimes, right? So lying's bad, so guys don't lie, right? Do we lie sometimes? Okay, some half, half room is honest. The other half lied. Okay, so you could say yes next time. I didn't even plan that, but that worked out really well. So lying is a sin. Why do we do it? Well, we want people to see us as really cool. But guess what? We don't want to do all the hard work that it takes to be really cool, right? Like, oh, I did that. I bought that, or I, own, I know how to do that. You never practice that a day in your life. You're like, oh, I can totally do that. That's easy. I've done that thousands of times. But yet you're just really good at video games. You know what I'm saying? He's like, okay, I meant on, on in, in, you know, basketball on the video game. That's what I meant. Another lie, right? So you see how this happens. We want to take shortcuts with lying. Or when it comes to lying is something that happened, right, that you know you need to deal with, that your spouse is probably going to make sure at some point you're going to deal with, you just delay. But you lie about it. So you're taking a shortcut of pretending that everything's okay when you know it's not okay. So these ideas of shortcuts, think through the things that you're tempted to do and how they're maybe outside of God's plan. But maybe part of God's plan is to give you those things, but you just want to take shortcuts. Another example is Say sexual sins, for example. God's designed marriage, a husband and a wife, to be together for sexual pleasure. But our, you know, our world, right, every generation <laughs> struggles with this because we want to take it and distort it. But this is something beautiful that God's designed, but we break it because we want to take shortcuts and we want to do things that we think will be better. Hebrews 4.15, I, I mentioned it earlier. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And for some of you, it may be confusing. You have Jesus, who's hit the bullseye every time, who's never sinned, saying that he's tempted in every way and that he can help us, but he never sinned. So in your mind, you could say, well, Jesus doesn't really understand temptation. Because he's never actually fallen into it. And there's a story I've heard from a, um, from a pastor about these three men. They find themselves around a pit. And inside this deep, deep pit, there's satisfaction, they think. So this pit of lust 
And they, they find themselves seeing a rope come out of that pit and tied around their waist. And they're looking in this pit. And they're being pulled. They feel the tension. And as they look, they know that that's a shortcut. So the first man, looking in the pit, feels this secondary tug. About 10 or 15 pounds pressure is kind of being pulled on, pulled on him. He kind of takes a step, like, because he's like, I don't, I don't want that, right? And, and then, then if he feels another 10 pounds out, he's like 25 pounds, and he's starting to feel it hurt a little bit. He's just, he's looking at the pit, and he's looking at his pain, and he, in the next pull, he just jumps in. So then the second guy sees that and begins to feel his pull. He gets 10 or 15, and he begins to think, I don't want, it's a shortcut. That's not what I want. But then 30 pounds starts pulling on him. He sees the pit. And he's like, ah. And he gets to about 50 pounds. And it's just too much for him. And he just jumps in. So then the third guy, he's already starting to be pulled. He's already at 30 or 40 pounds being pulled. And it's, and it's tight. He's now at 50. And he's, he's pulling back. And then it's at 60, and it's starting to kind of like cause a rope bird. And he's, he's starting to see blood come out of his shirt. He's at 80. And he looks the other way. And he sees his kids. He sees his wife. He sees Jesus there. And what Jesus has done for him. He's pulling, it's at 90. And he sees these people and his God. He's like, that's a shortcut. But at a hundred snap, the rope breaks. Of the three men, who better knows temptation and the weightiness of temptation Jesus never jumped in the pit. But he's able to sympathize because he never missed. He knows what it feels like at 100 pounds, at 1,000 pounds. And for many of us in the room, we have things in our life that we want to get there. We're tired of jumping into this pit of shortcuts. Men, women, students, God is looking for his soldiers. God is looking for his faithful that will be willing to fight. We're living out our identity of the king when we pull away from the pits of this life and lead and lean to our Jesus. So number four, as we close, Jesus used the scriptures to fight off temptation. We should follow his example. Let us know our Bibles. 
let us go to neighborhood group, our, your discipleship groups, and chew on verses in the Bible together. Let's process with each other. Let's pray for each other. Let's grab a friend or two and study the Bible together. For some of us in the room, it's just starting. For others, it's a, it's, it's a taste that the Bible needs to become satisfying again. Pray for that. It's the sword of the Spirit that's going to cut away these weights and distractions of this world. It's going to be a window where you'll get to see these shortcuts when before you didn't even realize that's what they were before. And let us use the scriptures to remember God's story. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, a righteous life. Then he became sin on a cross who knew no sin that we might have his righteousness that I just talked about. Our identity as being a son and daughter of Jesus will help us. Our life being lived busy for the good things of God will help us. Our life together will help us. And this is why we talk about loving God and our neighbors together. There's great things we're going to do as a community. But there's great things that God wants to do right here with you as well. As we take communion this morning, my prayer is that you will spend a few times reflecting, thinking about your own life. There'll be some questions up here on the, on the screen that maybe will help you kind of consider where you're at and ask you some questions. What is God using right now in your life to help you build your character? What areas in life are you weak in taking shortcuts and need help? Who could you ask to come alongside you in this? How can you get better at using scripture to help fight temptations in this world? Each morning here at Neighborhood Church, we are reminded through taking the physical bread and the, the, the juice here, and we, we dip the bread and the juice to remember that Jesus Christ's life, his body was broken so that we can have new life in him.